0: We have much to cover this morning, as you had heard, from 6 to 10 in Exodus, the book of Exodus, as the nation of Israel is being taken out of Egypt and will wander for 40 years in the desert. Reminds me of a story. A man was asked to to take 10 minutes and tell everybody all that he knows. And he turned with a perplexed face, and he faced his wife, and his wife just said, Speak slow. <laughs> I don't know, but my wife really enjoyed that joke, and maybe a little too much. She's the one who told me anyway, so uh, yeah, speak slow. So we've got to speak fast today to get through as much as we need to get through uh, this morning. Chapter six of the book of Exodus. The Lord had seen enough. You remember the song of Moses. After they had gone through the Red Sea, a portion of that song goes like this. Who is like unto thee, Lord, among the gods? Small g. Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praise, doing wonders. Oh, you see, God was going to act. It was time for God to act on behalf of his people, the nation of Israel, and deliver them from the hands of the Pharaoh. I want to read, if we could, in chapter 6, starting at verse number 1. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with strong hand shall he let them go, and with strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord, and I appear. I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. But by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. And I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians kept in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore, say thou unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burden of Egypt, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, and with great judgment. And I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you in unto the land concerning the which I did swear to give to Abraham and Isaac and to Jacob, and I will give it you, foreign heritage, I am the Lord. And Moses spake so unto the children of Israel, but they hearkened not unto Moses for anguish of spirit, for cruel bondage. It was told the Pharaoh that God says, Let my people go. And Pharaoh said back in chapter number 5, he said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Well, he was about to meet the God of heaven in a bold and brazen way. The God of heaven was going to make his presence known to Pharaoh. But Pharaoh concluded, well, you're you're making all these uh, uh, demands of me. Oh, you must have a bit too much time on your hands. Now let the people make bricks and let them make them in the same number, but this time they can cut their own straw. And the people felt the crush of that burden. And that's why verse 9 says, "And, and Moses spake so unto the children of Israel, but they hearkened not Unto Moses for anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. Moses had put them under tremendous burden. He said, Well, you've got a little too much time on your hands, so I'm going to make life even a little more difficult for you. I will, I will, I will, I will. I will, and I will. I say amen to that too. Thank you, brother. Because, you see, what this does is it it takes that that individual with that, that crazy personality that always wants to help God. And God is basically saying, sit down and watch. For I will. Now, there's a lot of personalities like that. I'm more inclined to sit down before he ever does say I will. But some people just want to help God. God needs help. He needs, he needs to be established in this world. His word needs help. His, his the gospel, it needs help. And God is saying, sit down, please. I will. I will. I will. And he did. In a mighty, powerful manifestation of the outpouring of the power of heaven, God began to act on the part of these people. Why did he do this? Well, there's a couple of reasons, I believe. One I want to discuss at this particular point, and that is that he might be known not only in the nation of Egypt or not only with the nation of Israel, but that he might be known in all the world that his reputation as a mighty, powerful God, not some image, not not some image made with human hands, whether metal or wood or whatever it might be, from creation, but this is a God with power and an ability to change. And the world would take note of that. Turn to Deuteronomy and we'll establish that. I think it's very important to establish that. Deuteronomy chapter number 2 And verse 25, this day will I begin to put the dread of thee and the fear of thee upon the nations that are under the whole heaven, who shall hear reports of thee and shall tremble and be in anguish because of thee, speaking of the nation of Israel. And they were placed there in order to be a witness to the world, to witness the power of God Almighty. They didn't do a very good job, but that's what they were placed there. Let's go to Joshua chapter 9 and verse... Verse number one, and it says, And it came to pass when all the kings which were on this side of the Jordan, on the hills and in the valleys and in the coasts and the great seas over against Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Heavizites, the Jebusites, heard thereof. And they gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua. Now, this is many years after the Exodus. With Joshua and with Israel with one accord. When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and Ai, they did work willingly and went and made as if they had been ambassadors, and took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles, old wine bottles, and rent and bound In other words, they went and put on some old clothes. And and what they were trying to do is they were just trying to deceive the nation of Israel because anyone that was in the land of Canaan was going to be swept out. And up to this point, there was nobody that stood in the path of the nation of Israel. You know, you look at that situation with all these these millions of people being uh, driven through a wilderness. There isn't an assembled army, so to speak. And yet they were feared by the nations that they came up against because every nation that was there in that land of Canaan was going to be dealt with. Not by the nation of Israel, not by the people of Israel, but by the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the Gibeonites said, well, listen, we don't have a chance. We can't stand against these people. Everyone who stood against them ended up losing their life. And so what they did is they feigned that they came from a far country. We're not residents here in Canaan. We come from a far country. Put on your old shoes. Put on your old jacket. Look real nasty like you've been on a long, long journey. And maybe we can fool the nation of Israel. And they did fool the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel ended up making a covenant with them. But read verse number 9. This is what it says. And they said unto him, from a very far country thy servants are come because of the name of the Lord thy God. Now, they lied about the first part. First part of the verse, lie. Second part of the verse, true. For we have heard the fame of him and all that he did in Egypt. Wow. They knew who he was. They knew who these people were and who these people's God was. And he was a powerful God. Then you have uh, uh, Rahab in chapter 2 of, of uh, uh, Joshua and, and, and how she basically heard the fame of these people and she hid out those spies in order that she might be saved because she knew that ultimately they were going to win the battle. And so the world knew, the world knew that The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this God, was an almighty, powerful God. And then we have a um, a genealogy back in Exodus chapter 6. You have the genealogy at the end of uh, chapter number 6. And that is all basically to establish what is said in verse number 30. And Moses said unto the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, uh excuse me uh verse 27 got the wrong verse it says the very end of the verse says these are that moses and aaron in other words with the genealogy that wanted to be established that there may be another moses another aaron these are the moses and aaron that was dealt with by god and it was established there you remember, in, 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 in when we go up to a person, we might say, well, tell me something about yourself. And you can say all kinds of things. Well, I like this, I like that, I don't like this, I don't like that, whatever the case may be. But when you said it to a Jew in that particular day, they would instantly go through their genealogy. They knew them by heart. In order that you might know their heritage, way, where they came from, their lineage. If you ask them who they are, that's what they would say. And that's exactly what's being said. Uh, 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 laid out here in um, the end of chapter number 6. And then the very end of chapter number 6, you have Moses, and Moses continually uh, went to God, and he said this same thing over and over and over again. He says, And Moses said before the Lord, this is chapter 6 and verse 30, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh hearken unto me? And his, his argument was basically this. Listen, the, the nation of Israel, they didn't even listen to me. How, how do you expect that Pharaoh's going to listen to me if I go to him? And yet God said, the Lord has sent you. And he would begin in a miraculous, marvelous way to begin to display his power in these plagues. Verse number five of chapter number seven. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth mine hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. And Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them. And Moses was fourscore years old, and Aaron was fourscore and three years old, 80 and 83 respectively, not spring chickens, but they didn't age quite as fast as they age now. I mean, 80 and 83 now, whew, you'd be lucky if they know what county they live in at this particular point. Well, maybe we've got some older folks here. I'm, I shouldn't say that, I suppose. <laughs> but they did age, you know, they end up uh, living to be about 120 or so. So that would not be exactly 83 that we would see today. So uh, they weren't spring chickens, but they weren't as old as what it would, might appear to be. For such an daunting, unbelievable task that they were given to do in guiding the nation of the, uh, Israel through this desert for 40 years. Man, they had a lot ahead of them, didn't they? They had a lot ahead of them. And then in verse number 8, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, Show a miracle for you. Then thou shalt say unto Aaron, Take thy rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent." Now, all of these plagues, now this isn't a plague, this is just sort of the precursor. But all of these plagues are basically an attack on the gods of Egypt. You know, here for 400 years, God had to look down on this nation and this polytheistic type situation where they they had a God basically for everything. And it's convenient, because if you're a polytheistic type point of view in your life, you have a God for everything, and you have a God for nothing. And you ultimately can take the place as your own God. You see, a polytheistic situation would not dethrone the Pharaoh. He could still be Pharaoh. Let me, let me give you an example. Rome. Rome has its... Uh, great Caesars. And, and, and when the first they, they, they began to have these great Caesars, why, they were just great military leaders, is what they were. And as it evolved on in, they finally said, wait a second. We have a God for this, we have a God for that, we have a God for this, we have a God. Listen, why don't we just make the Caesar God? Cut to the chase. And that's exactly what they did. They ascribe deity to their Caesars. And I'm sure that if the Pharaoh would have been allowed to continue on, they probably would have ascribed deity to him to cut to the chase. Why go through all these gods? when Hey, look to our leader, you know. And so you have a polytheistic situation, and God had to look down on this as as they would uh, worship frogs. That that is that is pretty sick. And they would worship the waters of the created, by God Nile River. You know, it didn't it didn't rain that much in Egypt. I, I found out that the rainfall in Egypt is very very sparse, incredibly sparse, and it isn't like, like like here in the tropics in South Florida. We're talking about very little rainfall. They depended on that Nile completely, and so that Nile became a deity they began to worship that Nile. And so God would deal with each of their gods, and that would account for the ten plagues, or at least most of the ten plagues, as God dealt with those deities. He said, I will have no other God before me. And whether you be unbelief, in, in, in a pagan culture, or whether you believe, be a believer, I will have no other God before me. And so Aaron threw down his rod, and it became a serpent. Now, this word serpent is, in, is interesting because it's not the same word that is back in chapter 4 when Moses threw down his rod. It became a snake. This word serpent is different in the Hebrew. It's called tannin. And, and what it was, was if, if you ever saw the, the headdress of the Egyptian hierarchy, the leaders of the Egyptian nation, you would notice that there was a snake coming out of that headdress. God was attacking that god of theirs because those snakes weren't just your normal snakes. This was a tannin. Some people say it was the, the Indian cobra, whatever. I don't know exactly. It was no doubt a venomous type snake, but it was the exact same snake as being portrayed on their headgear. And then it says, And Moses and Aaron went up unto Pharaoh, chapter 7 and verse 10, went up to Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent or a tannin. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, now the magicians of Egypt, and also did in like manner. In other words, there was more than just a few. Uh, It says uh, the wise men, plural, sorcerers, plural. There's a plurality here. So, you know, it's it's possible that there was a a whole bunch of their magicians. I mean, they were brought up, and Pharaoh's basically saying to them, you better perform. You, you better you better nullify this this miracle, and, and that's exactly what they did. in the In the uh, in the book of 2 Timothy, we find out that the leader is Janison and Jambres. These are satanically possessed individuals, and 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 we're going to find out that man Satan has power, power to imitate only. And that's the amazing thing about it all. They can only imitate. And, and when they threw down their rods, their rods became tannins or snakes as well. And, uh, but then Aaron's rod ate their rods. I guess it was, it was, this thing must've been huge when I got done eating all these snakes. I'm my goodness. And God showed himself strong. There's your gods. In the belly of Aaron's rod. And that was the whole view of all these plagues. I am going to make little of your supposed gods. And I will be exalted. And raised up high. And then in chapter 7 and verse 14. And I must move on. The water became blood. Blood. The water became blood in the Nile River. And it, it said that Aaron and Moses were to go down to the edge of the Nile River in the morning and, and there, there would be Pharaoh in the, in, the, in the river. And the language is clear on this, that Pharaoh wasn't going down there to take a bath or something. He was down there to do sacrifice. It was a religious experience for him. The Nile was a deity. The, the Nile was a god, you see. They had a God named Cyrus. He was the God of the underworld, the the underworld itself. And and it said that that Cyrus' blood was the Nile River. Now you can get the idea. God said, blood? Cyrus? Nile River? Okay, that's what we'll do. And he made the whole of the Nile River. Stinking Blood. Not only that, but even the vessels and the homes and everything was was, was blood. And and, and, and and I love these these people that that try to help God again. They're they're God's little helpers, is what they are. They say, well, you know, when the when, when the high tide and the Nile comes in, why it stirs up the bottom and there's and it, and it begins to be red sand. Oh, that's what they saw. That's my explanation. Well, that's a bit strange. Then the red sand then jumped into their homes, into their vessels, too. You you know what? If if the word of God says it was blood, then it was blood. Praise God. Listen, God made denial. He made blood. We we, we just got to get this this goofy thinking in our minds that we want some sort of an explanation. It's all because we want control. We want to say, look. Look. I figured it out. God needs help. God doesn't need help. The Nile turned to blood. And it was a terrible, terrible stench as God exposed again this false God of the Egyptians. And now chapter 8 and verse 1. We have these frogs. And it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, and they may that they may serve me. And if thou refuse Boy, those aren't good words from an almighty living God, is it? If thou refuse, to let them go, behold, I will smite all thy borders with frogs, and the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly which shall go up and come into the, thine houses and unto thy bedchambers and unto the, to thy bed, and into the house of thy servants and upon thy people and into thine ovens, oh gross, and into the kneadings. In other words, where they're making bread. So you're, you're, you're kneading bread on this table and there's frogs there. Now, here again, you say, well, this is crazy. I mean, did they worship frogs? They did. And God was about to show himself strong in that. There was a, uh, One of their gods was named Kunum. Kunum And Kunum and had a wife. Her name was Hecht. You got a wife named Hecht. <laughs> maybe, maybe you want to spend more time at work. But her wife was Hecht, and, and, and it gets worse. This God or this deity, Kunum, with this wife Hack, she had a woman's body <clears throat> and she had a frog's head. <clears throat> now you do want to spend more time at work. <laughs> Guaranteed. And and so th- this is just another form of their deity. In other words, anything that would come out of that Nile River, seeing that Nile River was deity, why it must be deity as well. And they began to worship the frogs. What an affront against the almighty God. I'm just so amazed that he was so long suffering and waited on that nation. That's who he was waiting on. He was not waiting on Egypt. Some 400 years. And he watched as this unbelievable things took place. And so these frogs that, that came up, they, they, they got into the homes. They, they were everywhere. There were just billions and Billions of frogs, more and more frogs. And, and, and the word of God says that, that basically after this plague was released from them, that they just, they just piled the frogs up into heaps. And now the frogs died. And can you imagine the stink of that land? It, it had to be absolutely horrific. Let's read on. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs upon them. Well, thank you, magicians. Thank you very much. You see, this is the unbelievable thing about it. See, if Satan could have really done what Satan wanted to do, he would have taken those frogs away by those magicians. But God said this, you may show yourself strong in producing frogs, but you ain't taking them away. So here Pharaoh is, and he's saying, well, you know, I got enough frogs already, please. <laughs> Don't make more of them. But, oh, they wanted to show themselves strong, you see. He can do it. I can do, too. What he can do, I can do better. What a joke. It was Satan who came to God in Job, and, and he said, listen, listen, you're putting a hedge around Job, it's what you're doing. You're putting... Boundaries around you. You're protecting him. You let me at him. And what did God say? He said, well, Satan, you, you, you can do what you want because you're a powerful God. No, he said, yeah, you, okay, okay, you have permission. That's the same view here, you see. They could only duplicate it because God is in control. And that, that would only perpetuate the judgment that was on this land. And so they made more frogs. Doesn't make any sense, but that's the way it worked. Then there was lice, and that is chapter 8 and verse 12, and we're going to have to go through this rather quickly. There were swarms of lice, and they had a god named Geb. A god named Geb, and, and, and the god Geb was the god of the dirt. Dirt god. How low. Can we go? Well, I, I'm going to get to that because it's going to include everyone in this room by the time we're done. But they had a dirt god. And so these lice, basically, what what it appears from the original language is that it was as though the ground was crawling. And and so they would call upon their great God, the, the great earth god, Geb to do something about this. And the ground was crawling with lice, and there's lice everywhere. Everywhere. Lice. Can you imagine? I mean, you you have a child and and the school calls up and they say, oh, your child has like, oh, first thing you think, oh, this is terrible. So you go through all the, wash the pillows, wash the sheets, wash wash the, wash the, wash the, get the nits out of the hair, all this crazy stuff. Can you imagine? There's just lice everywhere. God threw this plague at them. And he stood back and he said, now call upon Geb. Call upon your Geb and see what he can do. And until Moses releases these things, nothing is done. And Moses is the voice of God. Verse 18 is very interesting. Something changes here. And the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. God said, okay. Enough is enough, Satan. And they weren't able to bring forth lice. So they stood there basically helpless. And it says, then the magician said unto Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Now I want to get into this. Pharaoh's heart is hardened. Pharaoh's heart is hardened. Every one of the plagues. Pharaoh's heart is hardened. Now, I gave this careful consideration. Now, you Pharaoh's heart is hardened because Pharaoh hardened his heart. That's obvious in Scripture. There's no no question about that. What did Pharaoh do uh, uh, when Moses went to him just words now and said, Let my people go. Moses said, You've got too much time. Let's take away the straw from the bricks. Pharaoh's heart was hardened at that point, way back before there was ever a plague. Pharaoh's heart is hard like a brick. But then it goes on and says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, in the beginning, Pharaoh hardened Pharaoh's heart. But then it changes and it says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, I asked myself why. And I began to contemplate this for days, for days. Now, listen. I throw this out for your consideration. I didn't read this, so you're saying, "Uh uh-oh, this could be trouble. I didn't. There was a whole picture being painted by the hand of God. It included plague one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And then the one we're going to consider next week, that very important one, which preempted Passover. The the, the bloodshed, the death of the firstborn. And so there was a picture that God was throwing up with broad strokes onto a canvas. If Pharaoh, after the fourth plague, would have said, I quit. picture would have been incomplete. Would it not? What is the most important stroke on that picture was plague number 10, the very last one. And so God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that the whole picture might be laid out so that the world would know that I am the Lord, the Lord saith, and beside me there is no other. And so the plagues went on. And in a supernatural way. I'm telling you, there'sn't a human being in this room that after the first plague wouldn't have said, Let them go. Who cares about them? My goodness, our water sources being contaminated. We are dead men as we stand, let them go. We find out that the magicians, after about the fifth plague or so, they're gonna turn to Pharaoh and they're gonna say, Are you crazy? You know, you got to be crazy. Listen, let him go. But God had the paintbrush in his hand. And he was going to finish this great portrait of redemption. And so it goes on. The dirt crawled with the lice. And then the flies, chapter 8 and verse 20. And it says, uh, "And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning, and stand before Pharaoh. Lo, he cometh forth to the water, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Else, if thou wilt not let my people go, go before; I will send swarms. Now it says, it says flies, but that's in italics. It's just swarms, not exactly positive." What they were, probably flies, because I think it's reiterated in another portion of Scripture that I believe it was flies. And then verse number 22, and it says, And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarm of flies shall be there. Now, there's something else that changes here. God begins to isolate the land of Goshen, that's the place where Egypt had sent the nation of Israel. So the nation of Israel up in the land of Goshen, and all of a sudden, the, 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 uh, the Egyptians are just covered in what they call horseflies. It was a large, uh, biting fly. This thing, man, when it bites, you know what a horsefly, man, you're on the water and that thing gets you. It doesn't just sit on you and you think, oh, how disgusting. It sits on you and it makes its its presence felt because it takes a piece of flesh with it, and, and then it flies off. So these are the type of flies that just basically just covered these people. You, you can imagine that, that there were people that may have been laying on the ground. Some of the older of the Egyptians could have been laying on the ground, completely covered by flies, and they were eaten alive right there. That was God's judgment on this polytheistic pagan society. But on the nation of Israel, up in Goshen, just north of the, the main central area of Egypt, just north that the Egyptians had given that land, there wasn't one fly. Not one fly. The Bible is very specific about that. I mean, I'm sure that there were days uh, before when you get out the fly sweater, you go after that fly because, you know, you don't even want one fly in your, in your room. It's so disgusting, you know. So you go after that fly. There wasn't one fly at that particular time. God preserved them. One preacher said it was the first no-fly zone. Goshen. It's true. And then chapter 9 and verse 1, the livestock. And here again, it was the, the Egyptians who had their god Hathor. And Hathor was the cow. And they would worship the cow, not unlike that's the, done in India now. The word, the cows were actually sacred, and they got free reign over the land, so to speak. And there's apis, the bull. And, and so these two entities, these two uh, 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 beings that the Egyptians would worship got attacked. Got attacked. And it says this. Behold, verse number three. Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon the cattle, which is in the field and upon the horses. And by the way, the Egyptians take great pride in their horses. We know that from history. We know that. That's, that's what they did. That's what pulled their chariots. They had some of the best, greatest, unbelievable horse stalls in the world because they dug them up. They found them. And it says their horses upon their asses and upon their camels and upon their oxen and upon their sheep. So, so basically the whole transportation system was brought to a screeching halt. While the livestock began to die and the horses died and, and, and the oxen died, those that were beasts of burden. And, and you, can, you can drop a whole economy. I mean, the whole Egyptian economy would just drop at such a thing. And their God was shown for being weak once again. And the God of heaven being strong. And then chapter 9 and verse 8 through 12, we have the Blains and the boils. Now I had a hard time figuring out what a Blaine was, but let me tell you what: if you if you come to me and you say, "Well, how was your weekend?" Well, I got a case of Blaine's and boils this weekend. Well, that's not a good weekend. <laughs> I don't know what a Blaine is, but it don't sound good, right? We know what a boil is. I mean, that that's just awful. It's it, it, it's akin to leprosy, is what it is it's an oozing type sore where you just be you'd be considered unclean in any culture much less the nation of Israel. And so if you get blains and boils, it's not a good day and that's what basically they were involved with. The magicians they they didn't try interestingly enough from scripture you got to read this cuz I don't have time to go on there but the magicians they didn't try to duplicate this cuz they were too busy battling their own Blains and boils. They had them too. So the magicians were laid out on the ground probably in, 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 in just writhing agony. And, and uh, Pharaoh probably didn't care either because he had a ton of blains and boils. There they had blains and boils. Everybody had blains and boils. Not a good thing. And so they were not able to duplicate the blains and the boils. And then we have the hail and fire, 9, chapter 13, chapter 9 and verse Number 13, and it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning, and stand before Pharaoh, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, God of Hebrew, let my people go. You get the point yet? God is saying, listen, you will. (laughs) You will. It's only supernatural that you don't now. Do you see that? That's what I see in Scripture. It's supernatural that Pharaoh did not concede to the nation of Israel earlier. I'm mean, The land was being completely stripped. I mean, the, 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 uh, those who worked with Pharaoh said, Look out of your window, man. There's nothing left of Egypt. Let him go. And God supernaturally kept Pharaoh in the game until next week when we deal with that tenth plague. So it says this... Um, Um, verse number seventeen. It says, "And yet exalted thou thyself against my people, that thou wilt not let them go." Behold, tomorrow, about this time. He'd heard that so many times. You thought that he would. Man, tomorrow. God said tomorrow. And and isn't God gracious? Let me tell you. Sometimes we get the idea. We get the idea that these nine plagues. We'll deal with the nine plagues. No, there's ten but they were going to deal with nine plagues, that they actually were rifle fire. One, two, three, four, right on through, right? No. It actually took nine months. There's nine months worth of passing time with these plagues, about nine months. As they calculate some of the things that were said in the beginning of the chapter, and the end of the chapter, it was about a nine-month period. That is a long-suffering and gracious God. What he's basically saying to Pharaoh is, I'm going to give you a lot of time to give it careful consideration. And that was just enough for Pharaoh to uh, 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 you know, arm himself up again and stand again in a foolish way against the almighty, powerful God of heaven. But nine months, that's this, the amount of time that it took for these plagues to be um, laid out. And he that feareth the word, verse 20, and he that feareth the word of the Lord amongst the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his cattle flee unto the houses. Now, I want you to notice something by this verse. This is very, very important. You say to yourself, then all of Egypt didn't believe. That's not true. Let me tell you what. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. He may have had influence on Pharaoh's court, But the people aren't stupid. I mean, after this kind of of an onslaught from heaven in judgment, these people decided, you know what? Can all these gods. I'll go with the God of Israel. And so we had the mixed multitude that that followed the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And and we had others of the Egyptians who who believed. Let me tell you what, I would have believed. I, I can't believe that anything in my bones would, would keep me from believing this and, and putting my confidence in the Pharaoh with a dead snake on his head. I believe. And many did. Many did. We don't know how many. But it seems like there were people of Egypt who became believers in the God of Israel. And then we have the locusts. And these, these guys are like the cleanup guys. They're like the cleanup guys because you have all these other plagues that, that, that laid out before us, and, and then you have these locusts. And, and locusts, when they come in, it, it is just an unbelievable they, they tell you that, that, that this guy, they have this in Africa. Of course, Egypt is in northern Africa, but they have these swarms, these huge swarms, and, and, and the whole sky goes dark. That's a lot of locusts. They're blocking out the sun. And when they hit the ground, all you hear is this Chomping this unbelievable—it'll drive you insane after a while. And 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 there's where the servants of Moses came to. I mean, servants of Pharaoh, they came out and said, "Look, whatever's left, anything that survived the plagues before is gone now. Let the people go." It was supernatural that Pharaoh held on as long as he did. And then the darkness, they have a God named Ra. That's the sun God. You see. And God was saying, okay, now that this darkness, the Bible, and I, I know, I, I apologize, I won't be able to go into a whole lot of reading, but the Bible basically said it was a darkness that was so thick, so black, so dark that you could feel it. Uh, Josephus says this in his writings of this particular point. He said that it was so dark it was so black it was so pitch black you couldn't breathe wow that's that's really dark but you know god can do that he's the creator of the sun he's he he can he can take it all away every bit of light and so there was a darkness that fell over egypt so thick that they could feel it the bible says you can feel this darkness Call on your Ra. Call on your God. Call louder. Maybe you can't hear. Maybe there's something blocking. And they cried. You can see them crying to their God. Crying to their God. And no answer. No answer. No answer. How angry the God of heaven to watch as those he formed with his hands who were made in his own likeness and in his own image would take a frog that was placed on this earth to help maintain a small portion of earth's great balance and they would place this frog in front of them, and they would begin to worship it instead of the God of heaven. You wonder why these plagues. He would watch as they would bow to a river that he had created because there would be very little, little uh, rain in that land, he would create a mighty river called the Nile to sustain people. And he would watch as they bowed down and he began to worship the God of the Nile. I can't believe it took 400 years. Would anyone in this room be that patient? Would anyone in this room be even patient enough not to... Uh, Shoot those plagues at him one after the other, Bam, 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 Bam wolves are huh? He waits nine months between, because he's the God of mercy and the God of grace. Exodus chapter six and verse four through eight, I want you to read that again, because God said, "I will, I will, I will, I will." And he did. And all this beautiful portrait that, that God was preparing and, and stroking out as, as, a, as a pretense, as a type of that great redemption, he did by sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to become our sacrifice and fulfill all that that we'll see next week. No wonder then that if an individual takes that sacrifice, that blood sacrifice by the Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten of the Father, that one full of grace and truth, and they say for themselves, not for me. we don't want to talk about hell, you know. That's awful difficult in our society, isn't it? But you can fully understand why God must judge. There is a hell waiting. We see it in the book of Revelation when at the end he casts them in to the lake of fire. And they burn. Because God will not be denied. He said, I am the Lord. And beside me there is no other. And the fame of what happened in this land is also documented in historical documents. You say, no, it can't be. Yes, it can be. All of it's there. And men must deny the very presence of God to deny what took place here in these judgments. But one day, the trump will sound and the dead in Christ will rise and we who remain are going to be caught up. And then, the judgment. And God is going to show himself even stronger than he did here with these ten plagues. For seven long years, this world is going to feel the wrath of God. Well, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, your personal savior, all you have to do is recognize, you know, I am a sinner, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And bow your head and say, Lord Jesus Christ, you died for me, you took my place. I want to be off this earth. This world is not my home, just a passing through. My treasures, they're laid out somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel that home in this world anymore. Let's pray. Our Father, we give you thanks for the word of God. We give you thanks for this, this strong manifestation of your omnipotent power. We give you thanks that you're ultimately in control. And that with the capstone of these plagues would come in broad strokes that beautiful portrait of salvation. And the redemption of every human being on this earth for God so loved the world, if they only but take him as their personal Savior. Our Father, no one here would leave. We believe most are saved here, but no one here that may have doubts would leave without knowing the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior because no one wants to face that kind of wrath. We give you thanks, our Father. You're a loving God. God who commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us Part us with thy blessing. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.